listening to Pod on the Suit, your Steve and Tony fandom podcast. I'm Ferret. And I'm Flame. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Flame. Hi, Ferret. Hi, fandom. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five, everyone. We admittedly have a bit of a grab bag for you today. We had a conversation a little while ago between the two of us offline about how we interact with canon and people within canon and relationships. And it led to this rabbit hole between the two of us about canonical friendships that fandom turns into romantic ships. And this led us to talking about canon compliance and canon divergence. And uh, here we are. So in response to our discussion, Flame put out a call for anyone who wanted to talk about one of those canonical friendships. And Dora is joining us to chat about Rome Rogers and Nat in general. Then we'll share some of that conversation that got us here and go into canon compliance and canon divergence and what they even mean, just Ferret and I. And then we're going to hear from y'all on those concepts before a surprise installment of Life of an Event. Then you get your Trope Up update and your events forecast before we wrap it all up. Huge thanks to Cryo Bucky, aka Meg, for allowing us to use her art to set the stage so perfectly. It's a lot to get through, so we better get started. Podcastlandia. I am here today with Dora, who goes by Missy underscore D811 at AO3, and we will make sure that that link is in the show notes. And I am so excited to chat about a ship that I like, but I'm not super versed in. And I think Dora is going to teach me all about it and you guys too, so I can't wait. So Dora, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, so tell us, uh, your. we'll start where we start with everybody. What is your fandom origin story? Okay. Uh, so the short story is that I have been a fan of superheroes my whole life. Uh, and the long story, we'll get into it now. Um, so I grew up in the 90s watching Saturday morning cartoons, as did many uh, and so I watched Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, the X-Men TV show, all that stuff. Um, but it really wasn't until about high school that I started to like actually look into the different um, superheroes and their characters and discovering more about that. And part of that was because there were just so many superhero movies coming out when I was in high school, which sounds kind of odd to say now that like the MCU is this behemoth when it was not that in 2007. Um, But you did have the original Spider-Man trilogy and you had the X-Men movies and you had the Batman movies were coming out at that time too. So it was like a really exciting time to be a fan of superheroes casually. I wasn't reading comics yet. Um, That didn't happen until after I had graduated college. And part of the reason for that, so I didn't get into fandom until I was an adult proper. And part of the reason for that is just, I didn't have the disposable income. I knew I wanted to get into comics to start collecting them to build my collection. You can see it behind me now. Um, I wouldn't have been able to do this 10 years ago. So I just didn't. I was like, I'm going to just hold off until this is something I can actually dedicate some percentage of my life to, and then we'll take it from there. Um, So when I graduated college, Age of Ultron had just come out 
And that, for whatever reason, happened to be the movie that made me say, you know what, I want to pick up a Marvel comic. And so the first comic I read was The Confession. Okay, okay. Adrian <laughs> gave us all a lot of reactions. I love that yours was, I'm going to pick up a comic. I love that. Yes, yes. And at the time, it was... Um, Marvel was putting out uh, Secret Wars. So it was the end of the Hickman era of Avengers comics and the beginning of Secret Wars. And I ended up taking a flight to Florida. And on that flight, I read all of the comics leading up to, I think it was like either issue 43 or issue 44 was about to drop, but it was like the big issue was about to drop. And I was like, no, I need to catch up with everything. And I just sat on a plane and read everything and then when I got back home I was like okay I'm all caught up to speed and that whole summer I just read every battle world's world that came out and I was like super invested that is amazing and for uh, (laughs) listeners who are um who don't have the privilege of seeing Dora's beautiful face as I do I want you to know that directly (laughs) over her head is an Iron Man um, several Iron Man statues and or coffee mugs. I see a baby Yoda. Like there is some serious fandom cred happening behind her head right now. In terms of a, a room raider on Twitter, I'd give this one a <laughs> 10 out of 10. So from the comics, did you then, like what, what did getting active in fandom look like for you? So I have been on Tumblr since 2012. I joined in October of 2012, and so this was like the height of fandom on Tumblr, Um, and it's very odd to have to describe it to people who weren't on there, because so many of the friends I have now have been on there for almost as many years as I have, if not longer, so they're like, yeah, I remember what it was like, and so I forget that like people keep joining the site, Um, but it was just a... Like cringe culture did not exist. We were not afraid or ashamed to be unabashedly fangirling about stuff. Um, And so I actually have, I can send it to you if you want to include it, but I have the first post I ever posted on Tumblr about um, Avengers. Oh, I I mean, it's like a time capsule. I'd love that. Yes. Yeah, and it's from last night. I didn't join and I didn't, I mean, I joined Tumblr in like 2011, I think, but I used it for non-fandom purposes until 2019. So um, I love hearing like live journal and Tumblr stories from the peak era of, of fandom in those spaces. Yeah, and so, you know, everybody was like, Chibi Avengers was popular and everybody was writing about the Avengers all living in the tower and being besties and having movie nights and all that stuff. And it was cute. It was fun. I didn't spur me to like read comics or to get heavily invested in fandom, but I saw cute art and I would reblog it and like that was about it. Um, I think I've started to follow like Avengers blogs, but again, it was like a milding interest. It wasn't something that like consumed me. I was consumed by other stuff at that time. Um, I had gotten into um, Avatar and The Legend of Korra was about to premiere and like that was a whole thing, but that's an aside. So yeah, so the post I sent you is the first time I ever posted about Avengers on any blog. Um, And it's a super cute little panel. So I was like, yeah, that that checks out. (laughs) 
Oh, um, yeah, but beautiful. We're definitely gonna we're definitely link it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, and like you know, my Tumblr's still active, so like you could reblog it. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes, I love it. It's 2012 <laughs> energy. It's going right in the show notes, guys. It's very 2012 energy. I was just like, yeah, this checks out. Um, so then a few years later, I made a side blog for um fandom related stuff my idea was that i was going to put only mcu and like dcu stuff on there it was only going to be to talk about comics or tv shows or movies and that hasn't really happened because i ended up getting more followers on that side blog than on my main so then they started having conversations with people there and i was just like whatever um but i also have the first thing I posted to that blog. Yeah. So it's actually a link to my um, AO3, but it is the first uh, fic that I wrote and posted um, and, you know, and cross posted to Tumblr and AO3. And it's from November of 2015. Um, I still get comments on that story too. So that's nice. I mean, very rarely, like every once in a blue moon or something, but it's nice to, to know that people still read it. Um, and so, yeah, so 2015, I was home. I was underemployed and had a lot of free time on my hands because school was over and I didn't know what to do with my life. So I read every comic under the sun and I started writing uh, my own fic. I, by that point, I had been reading fic for about a year or so. Um, so I got invested in the characters to the point where I wanted to seek out alternative medium. Uh, somewhere between the release of Captain America, the Winter Soldier and the Age of Ultron. I can't pinpoint it to like a specific date. I tried. I did a lot of scouring through my archive to try but no there's no like one day this happened um but i do remember really falling in love with captain america the winter soldier when i watched it i love spy movies of all sorts um i've watched every james bond movie there is and so i really liked the whole vibe that the Russo brothers were going for and at the time the Russo brothers were like the Marvel gods and I know everyone now is like we were fools but <laughs> well people have you know reactions so we're all allowed to feel whatever we feel oh well I I figured this would be an interesting chat because I have some uh unpopular opinions <laughs> so um my, yeah so I watched my co-host it does did not hate Endgame, and I neither did I. So neither did I. So. I don't. There are pieces of it I don't love pretty strongly, but no, we are a pro whatever makes you happy space here. Good, at, good, uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. So yeah, so um, Winter Soldier is still the movie that I feel holds up, despite the fact that like shield is completely non-existent in this universe anymore and like the stakes don't matter uh because i feel part of the issue i have with watching some of the phase one movies is that this is supposed to be high stakes but i know that the stakes get higher and so i don't care i'm like it's fine they're gonna live they have to fight so and so it'll be fine um but i feel like winter soldier still kind of leaves me with this feeling of what is Steve going to do? Is Steve going to find a place for himself? It, and the answer is not really, but <laughs> yeah, I'm not a 
MCU writer. If if I were, people would probably be sending me hate mail because I probably would have sent him back in time anyway. Just not to the 40s, but I would have sent him back in time. Um, so anyway, um, Natasha. Natasha is the reason why I am heavily invested in fandom. I've always loved Tony Stark as a character. I saw Iron Man in theaters, uh, which is a great experience. And I wish I could like go back to 2008 and watch that movie like fresh faced all over again. Um, but it really was finding out that Scarlett was cast as Natasha for Iron Man 2 that really got me interested. That was the time where I was like learning more about the Marvel characters and I really liked her a lot. I, there's nothing to not like. I like spies. I like Russian and Soviet and Cold War aesthetics. I like redheads. There's just nothing there that I wouldn't like. Um, so watching Iron Man 2 was like, okay, this is it. The, these are the two characters I most love. These are the two people I care about coming into the first Avengers movie. I hadn't seen anybody else's origin story. I just cared about Iron Man and Black Widow. That was it. And um, I have positive thoughts on the first Avengers movie, but I don't think it's actually the best of the Avengers movies. And I think the first hour of Endgame is what I would have wanted three Avengers movies to have been about. I would have wanted to see them actually coming together and planning a mission and going on their mission and the mission falling apart. That's what I wanted. That's what I want out of fix. That's what I want out of comics. And it's really what I wish that MCU had given us. We have like the five second intro of Age of Ultron where you see them going to the Hydra base. I would have wanted to see like the conversation on the Quinjet and the planning that went into it beforehand. But the, the MCU decided they wanted to not do that for some reason. Well, then it makes sense to me that like Captain, that, you know, Winter Soldier really smacked for you because that is the most Nat content we really get in terms of her showing her Black Widow-ness in her brain. Yes. Like we see yes. her her body and her training a lot throughout the rest of the MCU. But I think until that last, until the first hour of Endgame, you know, the, the most we are reminded that she's really good at this, I think is is Winter Soldier. And so that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Winter Soldier is is just really great in terms of, of her characterization. I think it fleshes her out. It gives her a friendship uh, with Steve that I really love and more so, but we'll get to that. And I like the dynamic between her and Sam. Um, the scene on the roof where they're trying to like uh, get information out of the guy, I forgot his name, it's been a while. And he's like, oh, this isn't like you. And Steve's like, no, it's not like me, but it's like her. And then she throws him off the cliff and Sam picks him up with his wings. Brilliant, brilliant. I wanted two hours of that. It was brilliantly executed. <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk about Steve and Nat. Talk to me about why they make sense for you. Okay, uh, so I picked up on hints of, hmm, maybe I would like to see where this would go in the first Avengers movie. Uh, I really did like that, you know, when they're on the, I think they're on the helicarrier before it goes up in the air, if I'm remembering the scene correctly. Um, she comes over and is the only person to like actually talk to him as like, a real dude and not 
a Captain America fanboy, which he was like really tired of by that point, and it only gets worse. Um, and so he, you know, he's young. He's like 26, 27, and um, that didn't seem young to me at the time. It's young to me now. Um, but you know, he's fresh faced, doe eyed, all this stuff. And Natasha comes over and is like, "Hey, so the team," and it just seems like she is one of the few people interested in him as a person and who wouldn't want that um as a friend you know also i love the fact that um scarlet and evans are friends like in real life because you pick up on that you can definitely tell that there is like um a chemistry there that wouldn't necessarily exist if other people were in those roles um because they wouldn't necessarily have like a decades-long friendship to go yeah, I mean, it. and they dated on and off a few times, which I think really helps. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I think you get that too with uh, Robert and and Mark's characters, where you know people picked up on the science bros because you see it; it makes sense. It, it clicks. There's something about them that's like, oh, there's a, a dynamism here. Um, so um, I guess I would say that my m- male female ship preferences come down to women who could kick my ass and dude who wants her to uh so that is yeah Yeah, it's like she could kick my ass and I would want her to do so and that's what you get here um is that you get someone who is can go toe-to-toe with Steve and also sees him as his own person and therefore is aware that he's not infallible or perfect and on top of that he learns things from her that he wouldn't be able to learn from other people um and so they both can grow and you see that throughout uh winter soldier where he's learning how to be a spy from the best spy so true and my god god bless that boy he can't spy for his to save his life i mean to save his life it's amazing i also think evans would not make a great spy so he's just too much of a puppy so that fits pretty much pretty much yeah Yeah. i mean i I think there's just like many factors in play i feel like he couldn't like blend into the environment seamlessly the way you would have to if you want to be a spy he's like too out in the open Still, yeah, it's great. So that makes sense. I really like this idea that she was the first person he met when he woke up. Because normally we talk about this as Tony, but mm-hmm. like the the first person to kind of really get him in some way. But their open dynamic is, I mean, obviously, Tony was a Captain America fanboy. That's a huge part of mm-hmm. of that building relationship. That she really does not give a living fuck who he is. Nope. Outside yeah, of and so I mean, in front of him that will in front of her that will help keep her alive, is a really fascinating dynamic. Yeah, and I think you know, knowing that Natasha is like Fury's right hand woman, and that she would be there, and that she's the first person for the team that he really scouts. Uh, she would have to be one of the first people there. Like, I know the movie doesn't show that, but we're ignoring canon. Um, She would have to be one of the first people there when Steve is first, you know, defrosted. And it would make sense that they would kind of 
have her be like, hey, so show him how to be a spy in this age. Show him how to be a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. We want him as an Avenger. It's your job to figure out if he's right for the team because that's what they had her do with Iron Man. So why wouldn't they have her do that with Captain America? Um, But of course, that's because, you know, they decided they didn't want to give Black Widow her own movie for 10 years. But I'm still waiting. We don't have time to get into the... Yeah. And I have, I have lived a long choices. life. Yeah, the prioritization choices of Marvel <laughs> Entertainment. So now that I, I mean, I'm you, you've got me, you've hooked me. I need to read more Nat and Steve. What, what fix should I start with? Um, so I do have one. Uh, hold on. So it's by Isozyme actually. Um, it was posted recently. It's called "Who I Am, I Am." Sounds and great. I will, link to that in the chat so yep and just everything she's linked to me guys you will get in the show notes so um that's probably my favorite i've read a few like one shots and i am in the process of writing my own but i um I feel like I'm a little harsher for myself when it comes to writing for smaller ships than for writing bigger ships because with bigger ships I'm like oh well if it's nobody likes it it's fine there's like a thousand other words they can choose from it's fine Uh, but if I'm writing for a smaller ship it's like no there's nothing out there I have to (laughs) I have to fill the void (laughs) so uh, I take a lot longer to write and um, you know last year was very difficult to write I went like four months without touching my computer um that's really relatable to a lot of people (laughs) so yeah not not a problem well that's exciting um I know the one that I've read that is um that I'll make sure to link in the show notes that I know is a famous one is one that Copper Badge wrote back in like 2012 um oh yeah is it the tiny spy yeah Uh, yep yeah yes yes I remember when that was posted. Yes. Um, that's oh, no, a great no, one. It's, it's called Moving the Furniture. I just looked up. Oh, okay. I don't know if I know that one. I do oh. remember the Tiny Spy Steve, though. I don't know if yeah. I know that one. This one, Please the share. summary of this one, is Steve <laughs> thinks about sex a lot and he'd like to have some if he could just stop being an idiot around the people he'd like to have it with. Oh, that sounds like it's going to be fun. Okay. Which sounds like peak Steve Rogers 2012. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I will make sure to also link that in the show notes, uh, uh, listeners, so that you have access to that as well. Yeah. Um, about Endgame, since we had uh, mentioned it before, and I, I do still really love the first act of Endgame. I think it's the best of the Avengers. Um, I really loved how we see, again, Steve and Natasha's relationship change, where it's clear that they are still in contact, but that it's not what it used to be before. And that makes a lot of sense given that everybody is grieving in their own way um, about the state of the world and about their part in it and what led to, you know, that really terrible battle in Wakanda and how things could have been handled differently and all of that. And I'm always interested in the what if, what if they had done this, what if they had done that? And so it was nice to see 
Natasha in a really vulnerable place. We hadn't seen her before. We've always seen her as like whip smart and ready to attack and nothing phases her and she'll just handle her personal business on her own time. But the mission, the mission. And now the mission fell apart and everything else fell apart. And she does have to face the fact that she can't do it all. And, you know, the scene where she's talking to the other Avengers with Okoye and Rocket and stuff and they're all like Nat there's nothing to do just like let it go great amazing she can't let it go she is like fixated on this she has to do something um, so for me it made a lot of sense that she would be the one to choose to give herself over for the um, the stone I just don't really like the meta narrative stuff behind that because of course characters aren't just making choices in a vacuum they're making the choices writers have them make and so it is frustrating that the writers thought that the best ending for the original female avenger was to yeet her off a cliff um so that's unforgivable especially because they had already done that to gamora so i was like extra unforgivable um you've already killed two women in the exact same way could you at least pick a different form of misogyny you want to pick up but no um however i did disagree with uh, a lot of fandom saying that she wouldn't have made that particular choice and i'm like no i do think she would and i do think she has shown repeatedly that um it's not that she doesn't value herself is that she values the greater good much more than she values herself as an individual and um I think that would be part of her upbringing in that she was raised as, you know, assuming the Red Room, we have more backstory at some point, um, but we do see like hints of this in the trailers for the Black Widow movie, is that she's raised to be one of many girls and they are they see themselves as sisters and there's this camaraderie that's supposed to exist between them and i don't feel like she would into adulthood ever truly reject all of that she wants to be part of a team um we see her working on teams all the time we never see her working on her own i mean she goes off and does things but she always comes back she always has a home base she wants to come back to um so the idea of like home and family and tradition um, does play into her story and th the comics go over that too that makes um, no that makes complete sense I definitely didn't have it like the way I view Endgame a lot of it is that this is the logical conclusion of the story they were they were telling not yes. what I was reading into it not what I was hoping for not what even with the plot holes I think that they gave us and some other stuff like that, it was really clear to me that this is the story they were telling. And so I don't, on that, on a dramatological front, I have, you know, I don't feel betrayed. I don't, you know, kind of personally, just kind of whatever about it. Um, the Like the minute the option was up for Nat to sacrifice herself, I knew she would do it. Um, yeah. And so that, because it, it fits with me for her character as well. And I think that's why, I'm so always interested in who we as fandom pair her off with um, and what it says at, about the piece of her personality that we are pulling out from her. Like 
I know like we ship a lot of the women with a lot of different people, I think as a fandom, except for Pepper, she tends to stay with Tony because that is canon. But like, you know, we oh, well, of- I ship her with Natasha too. So oh, I ship her I'm with Natasha as well. <laughs> But I'm just saying on proportion of, of, of head cannons, I think yeah, yeah. one of the only ones that is, it like stays with another character as more than the other, like, you know, we ship Carol with Maria, but I see Carol flipping all over the place too. Mm-hmm. You know, Nat is as much with Bucky as she is with Clint, as she is with Steve, as she is with Tony, as she is with mm-hmm. Pepper, as she is with Carol. Like she kind of flips a lot. And some of it is because she's a bit of a cipher, uh, you know, because yeah. she's a spy and we don't know her that well. But the other part is that she's such a rich character that canon didn't explore as deeply as it could. And so I think a lot of us have fun picking at at the pieces of her and following the train of thought of, okay, well, this woman was raised in this situation. What does this mean for this relationship with this person? Which is yeah. what we all do as transformative creators is, is the what if questions. So um, I am mindful of our time though. And I wanna make sure you said you had two more recs for me. So what other two fix do our folks need to read? Okay, um, so I have a uh, Tony and Natasha story that I wanted uh, to give a shout out to. I love that. So shit. I'm going to link that one. And I have a Steve Tony rec that I really, really love. Um, and, but it is a hard read. So I'm going to, this is my warning to the audience. It is a hard read. Um, it is not for <laughs> those who want lighthearted fluff. It's not any of that. Um, however, it is really well written and I've reread it numerous times and every single time I read it, it still hits me in the gut. So that's the last one. That's fair. So the Steve Tony she's talking about is Moments Lost in Time by Pathetic Fangirl, which I know some other people quite enjoy. And the Nat uh, Tony is by Death Sweet Queen or Simi, who is a past guest on the pod. And it's called Sharp Toothed and Mild as a Doe. And those fix will absolutely be in the show notes uh, because everyone, while minding the tags, of course, should uh, enjoy them as much as a lot of the rest of us do. So Dora, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, I loved talking about a character we don't get a chance to talk about as much on the pod. Um, So thanks for sharing some Natasha love. And as the rest of us kind of dive into some Nat, uh, fic with uh, Steve and Tony and whoever else we will uh, make sure to keep an eye on your AO3 for what you create yes I do have a uh, thruple that I uh, started writing of Steve Tony and Natasha where Steve is a vampire and Tony is a werewolf and Natasha is a hunter um, so that's there uh, for someone whoever wants to read I also have a Tony Natasha story I wrote about them being undercover spies and I have a lot of Steve Tony so just peruse AO3 (laughs) sounds perfect to me yeah I you're reminding me I need to get back to my Nat Tony that I've started where they are married but opposing counsel on the same case so I need oh to- oh that's that sounds please send that <laughs> I, need to, I need to get working I wrote it as a one shot and then everyone has asked for it to expand and uh, I need, yes I need to get back to that so anyway listen have a fantastic rest of your day thanks again for joining us um and yes thank you my absolute pleasure So as we wander around in this conversation about 
canon and ships and what inspires people and all that kind of stuff. We kind of wanted to dive into the concept of canon compliance, canon divergence, alternate universes. Obviously, the big, huge world of AUs is a separate conversation as well, but specifically, we're kind of focusing on canon today, so we wanted to break down what some of those tags and terms and stuff can mean for people and some of the sort of blurry lines between those things. And even just between me and Flame, we have some different opinions on this, so... um, so yeah, Flame, I know you you have uh, you have a strong sticking point when it comes to the concept of canon compliance. Well, so here's my hot take, and all of you can break up with me now. But I just don't think that any of us in Marvel, the minute you make anybody, the minute you do any ship besides Gamora and Peter Quill and Tony and Pepper in a romantic relationship, as of this moment, you are outside of canon. And so everything is canon divergent. And I also tend to think that the point of fanfic is to make things canon divergent because they're transformative works. So even if you want me to interact with canon, it's always a canon that we've manipulated somehow because we're not the writers. But like, I'm also the person that thinks that like comics runs are just commercial canon divergence. (laughs) So, I mean, like, I'm not in a certain way the best person to have this conversation because I just kind of look at it all and go, eh, it doesn't really matter. But I'm fascinated with how passionate people are over some things about canon because I, te- I just don't, I've never really cared because I've just been like, oh, well, I'll do what I want anyway. Because it, like, all fiction is meant to kind of be messed with in my brain, but that is not how you feel. So where, where do you fall on this spectrum? So for me specifically, I mean, and I should say to preface this, that Stony, as I've said before on the pod, is the first non-canon ship I've ever been in fandom for. So back in my early days of fandom, I was shipping Spuffy and, you know, all the other things I shipped and they were all canned ships. And so the idea of making something that was canon compliant was a lot it was, it was easier to get your teeth into because canon supported the relationship that was the primary reason that that fandom existed. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't as much of a struggle as it would be to make something say stony and canon compliant. But my feeling for compliant is that it isn't about what it does, but what it, where it could fit. So for me, canon compliant means that nothing in the the piece of art directly contradicts anything that happens in canon. So if you so the question that is asked is, could this be inserted into canon without causing any like anachronistic issues or conflicts or you know plot holes or what have you and if it can then it can be considered canon compliant so it's so if you do like timestamps, bits between movies um or missing scenes or if you just manage to sort of wedge everything in in the gaps because it's very clear when you watch a movie that there's a whole lot of stuff that they're leaving out so you know, not everything has to have been told to us. I actually believe it would be possible to write a canon compliant stony fic 
just by filling in all of the immense amount of time that we never get to see on screen in such a way that everything that comes before it, during it, and after it could still happen exactly the way that it happens. And we as a fandom just love to talk about how like Endgame has all these divorce vibes and Civil War has all these divorce vibes and stuff like that. And like, I haven't done it, but I really think that it would be possible to do. So I'm not totally, I'm not totally, I don't think that a ship has to have been shown on screen for it to be possible to have shown it on screen and not screw up things that they did later. So you could fill in that hole if you wanted to. Not every ship, but some ships. <laughs> I mean, I guess that makes sense. If you're opening up like the possibility conversation, it definitely changes it. Yeah. And then to me, then I guess, I guess I just, I mean, this goes back to the fact that I don't hold canon to be precious. And so why not mess around with other things to like I mean because the thing is so if we do that then it's not going to be necessarily like it's possible and it's but it's not going to be a happy ever after fic for me like it's not going to be a romance which is why I read fic right so like you so it's just it's going to be something I don't necessarily encounter um which it doesn't mean it's invalid it just means that like it wouldn't enter my brain space because in order to be canonical it has to respect how the arc of the movie ends yeah for sure like Stone, yeah, Stony would not have a happy ending in canon unless you then extended well past, you know, and some other way of bringing them back together. And when, then we end up in fix it territory. <laughs> then we end up in fix it territory. Yeah, I, I, it's this is all really messy and fascinating. And yeah. I know I read a long time ago a conversation. I want to say it was in the Stuckoni server in the the sixteen plus one in the early early days of my Marvel fandom where there was somebody who was vociferously defending like the importance of only writing stories within canon and that AUs were a, like essentially a violation of fandom. This person mm -hmm. strongly believed that. And that if we truly, truly loved these characters, we would love the canon that came with them. In a Stuckoni server. <laughs> In a Stuckoni server, I know. The irony okay. was not lost on me. Um, and they were there, I think, to cause, I think they were there to cause trouble. They, because part of their thing was that Stucky is canon. Right. Okay. And they were being really, really vociferous about that, that Stucky is canon. And I was like, sure, their friendship is canon. Um, like, their friendship is canon. That's, I, yes, absolutely. Their platonic soulmate, bromance, whatever other word. But like, they don't fuck on screen, man. Like, I can't. There are as many people that as get romantic vibes from them. There are just as many people that get bro vibes from them. So I can't help you here, you know? Um, and I respect that there's a lot of fandom that forgets that other people interact with these characters. I understand that. But these don't, these, none of these folks belong to us in the proprietary way that we sometimes talk about them in fandom spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, that's a separate rant. But I sat there watching this conversation and people were getting very, very emotional about it. And some of it was because this person was digging their heels in and not engaging in a good faith conversation. But one of the things that fascinated me was how many people still wanted to live in the in-between space. They did want elements of canon. Like they loved that Bucky was the Winter Soldier. That's a huge part of you know, but this was two years ago before we had, you know, more recent, before we had con canonical confirmation that Bucky goes to therapy, like we get in Falcon and Winter Soldier, the show. 
they wanted to believe that like then he went on that they wanted to live in the space where he was in wakanda and they wanted to live in that space where he got healing but in order to enjoy him that much they in, in an au of him as it were they still needed that winter soldier piece right and even if he was like running a coffee shop they they personally needed him to have that trauma um and so to say that canon canonical elements can only come in one like you take them all or you take none of them feels like antithesis to to can to fandom in a way yeah and i think that that leads us right into canon divergent which is certainly a much more popular category than canon compliant um and though i i will just since we're talking about natasha and canon today i feel like i have to tell the story of my first marvel fic which i've mentioned here before it's a natasha bruce fic and i wrote it immediately after watching aou and my entire drive for it was that i actually liked that ship i liked the idea of natasha and bruce together i thought they could be good together and i thought that they could be good together in canon if a whole lot more had been shown to give their relationship an arc so i wrote 100k that is in as to the best of my ability 100% canon compliant it shows that everything that happened that we see in canon leading up to aou and then all the events of aou and I wrote it before anything else had come out. Um, it still happened, but I did my best to fill in all the gaps and show some of the time in between and some of the time you don't see on screen of them together, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I have to say it was a really, really fun project. I watched Winter Soldier. Like I, <laughs> I had to do like rewind, play, rewind, play on a whole bunch of Winter Soldier to get stuff accurate. So I watched it so many times. And but I actually really like the challenge of taking that like the exact information that we already have from canon and seeing just how much you can pack into it. Like it's like that meme with the car. I'm like pat cannon on the head and be like, you can fit so much hurt comfort in this baby. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And just that like there is something really sort of mentally stimulating about it's like working on a jigsaw puzzle of being like, here's the story that I want to tell and having to cut it apart into pieces that will fit in the gaps in between to make a, a like a smooth, cohesive story. And coming from a background of all canon ships, that was like, that was the kind of fic I had, not all obviously, but a lot of the fics I'd been reading had taken that approach before. And Yeah, I actually, I really like that. I think that canon compliant can still mean flexible and interesting. And there's a lot of stories that we can tell in canon compliant. But canon divergent, definitely, definitely more popular. Um, I think whether it qualifies, like the word, the the term AU now means so much. And it's such a broad, expansive term that even though I know in a lot of ways, canon divergent is technically defined as an AU, I'm always hesitant to use the word AU to apply to all of these things because I really think that we're at a point where we kind of need to divide that term up into some more categories because, you know, you've, you've got everything from, you know, everything was exactly the same except for five minutes and Civil War went differently being canon divergent AU or canon happened exactly the same way except that Steve and Tony are soulmates in there and love AU all the way to like 
they're all in college and they work at a coffee shop at AU. And that to me just feels too big for one label. And I always want yeah. it to be there to be a line between AUs of canon and complete other settings where we've just taken the characters and transported them somewhere else. Um, not because I, I, I adore both of them. It's not to be exclusionary, but just because when we talk about it, inevitably there's a really, really big difference about the way that we read, write, and engage with those two categories. Oh, completely. And I think, I mean, my very, very first fic was a rewrite of the MCU canon. And I absolutely rewrote pieces. I mean, just full stop, like rewrote pieces. But I I made, and I don't remember, I was such a baby in terms of tagging. I don't remember what I tagged it, to be completely honest. Yeah. Um, nor did I understand what tagging was when I, re- uh, to be frank, when I started publishing that thing. Um, but I know that I would have, I would term that, I would not call that an AU in the same way that I would call like the My Fair Lady one I just did in AU. Right, right. And yeah, those yeah. Are it's really a- different things in my brain. But I respect that according to the tags, like you said, it's not. And I think, I, I don't know, Divergent is so much more, I just love to know like where people, like it's that meme with the car and the exit. Like, you know, I can keep going straight. I'm going to veer over oh, here. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where, where's where your exit yeah. <laughs> yeah like which exit so are you up to civil war okay cool are you are you up to halfway through civil war like i wrote a fic once where everything was canon i mean beat for beat until the fight right and then nat goes with tony instead of steve and i just played with it that way and that changes canon and so like then i just diverged but i wouldn't call that an au now i'm talking out loud because that's a really good that's an interesting thing to consider of where is the boundary for yeah. you personally as a writer and also for you as a reader. And I think the other thing that Canon Divergent brings up as like, boy, this gets fuzzy, is the idea of time because um, something can be Canon Convergent at the moment that you write or a Canon Compliant at the moment that you write it completely. Um for instance, my my Bruce Natvik, totally canon compliant to the end of AOU. And then, of course, it gets jossed by Ragnarok, which totally not surprised. I was expecting it. But um, when you write a fic that's canon compliant at the moment and then more canon, you know, we live in a world where more canon is coming out and we're learning more about these characters. And a lot of the time, like, especially in movie fandoms, you're rarely getting more. So it's like, you got word of God or you got nothing. And to say, does, does the story change? Does it become canon divergent because canon jost me? Or is it still canon compliant up to but then when we define canon divergence as canon compliant up to a point is the point relative to me and when I hit post or is the point relative to can't you know like it's there's just there's so many ways that we can shift these lines around that it's very hard to say 100% any of these things yeah and the time thing is just yeah 
especially in a fandom this long, like most TV shows would have been over four years ago if we were in a TV show. Like it's rare for a drama to run more than seven seasons. So we're already well past how long we would be getting new canon if if we were in, you know, except even in Doctor Who, we would have had to replace Doctor by now. So it's hard to say, you know, it's it's a bit of a unique situation to have so much relatively few hours, but such a long period of time to create where every, t- every couple of months you could get Jost again. <laughs> and maybe that's why I have the relationship with Canon I have, because I came maybe. into fandom when Canon was closed. Yeah. And so I was reading stuff from 2016 that like I knew had been proven wrong, but they called it Canon compliance. And so I just like messed with it all in my head and went, who the fuck cares? Yeah. It's a, uh... It's sort of like it has to be sort of ephemeral in a way and has to kind of shift with time because what are we going to do? Yeah. And this is what's fun now for me, like, you know, and this is a longer conversation. And if people are interested in it, we can have it at another time. But how to interact with a with a fandom where the canon has has closed in a way. Yeah. And what do we do? And, and you know, I mean, like the Harry Potter fandom is still thriving, even even though it's not maybe as massive on AO3 as it once were. So there, and Buffy is still thriving and Game of Thrones is still thriving. Um, Maybe. Mostly (laughs) so that people rewrite the entire, the entire last season. Um, God love them. I mean, there is no fix it fix like Game of Thrones fix it fix. Let me tell you that. (laughs) Like you can feel people's pain flowing through their fingernails onto the keyboard. Um, Anyway, some of this question converges with that question for me. And we're two years out from Endgame, pretty much, as we release this episode. And yeah, I that's think it's the it's the anniversary, isn't it? Or just a couple days, depending where you close. live. It's a couple days off. Yeah, depending on where you live. So we're we're two years out, and whether or not you acknowledge Endgame or not is, for the purposes of this conversation, moot. Um, the phase three of the MCU closed, like. And now we're opening up into phase four and there's so many new properties. I can't keep them straight. And I'm hearing like, you know, Falcon Winter Soldier is setting up something for Rhodey show, which is setting up something for the, for, for another movie, for another, uh, <laughs> it's a whole thing. Tony and Steve will still be parts of this canon, but as memories and as influences in terms of official canon. But that doesn't necessarily mean that anyone can't keep creating with those two characters yeah and so if i still have if i write a a a can't if i write a falcon and winter soldier fic where it's an you know and this it's an alternate it's a part of the multiverse and that's what dr strange reveals is that all of this is in various multiverses at what point is multiverse canon compliant right because you can always claim Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can always claim. And, you know, and so it's it's just going to keep getting messier and messier. And for me, that's exciting. Yeah, but I don't think we need hard lines on this, but sometimes it can be hard to talk about. <laughs> I'm always fascinated on Discord servers where people are going really into the importance of canon because I'm just like, well, I'm no dog in this fight. <laughs> but I really, really love it when someone's like, well, I'm writing a Winter Soldier fic and I need to know if like Bucky's lapel is like, you know... At, there is no part of me that would read a fic and give a shit if they described the plates of the arm wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I completely, 
completely respect that there are people that really deeply care. It just never like ceases. Even this morning on the Sam and Bucky Discord server, folks were like, well, I really want to write this thing. At what point does Red Wing come out from Sam's suit? And they're like, I'll go rewatch the episode. I was like, oh my God, I would have just made it up. <laughs> like, I would have just made it up. And this is why I'm not a canon writer. So, yeah, I think it's definitely like a personality trait. I'm someone who like, if I'm going to do it, it has to be accurate. It's like how you have to pick real restaurants and stuff. Like it's the same yeah. feeling that that drives you. It just applies in different places. So like yeah. if I'm going to say it, it has to be accurate. So like I will do a, like a take a screenshot and send it to Mr. Ferret and be like, what what kind of gun is this? So that I can say what kind of gun Natasha used in The Winter Soldier and have it be correct. But it's rare that I'm writing canon in such a way that it would matter. So in that case, it doesn't apply very often. Yeah, I mean, we were playing a Marvel Trump's Hate game the other, like, it was a sprint. I had 20 minutes to write a fic, and I spent five of them finding a hotel in yeah. which there would be a bar in New Orleans. So I'm we all have our things. <laughs> I am not saying that I'm normal. I'm just saying canon stuff makes me giggle. That's all. So I, so in this light of, of some of these terms covering too many things, I invented a new term. <laughs> And yeah, I, which confused a lot of people on the it did. Twitter poll. We'll <laughs> and I'm, next segment. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Twitter doesn't give you room to define. <laughs> but I think that Canon Divergent shouldn't, as we have already discussed, shouldn't have AU as part of it. So I disagree with that right off the bat. Um, and so I think we should also have the non-compliant non-AU. So this is like, these are the fix where the, the setting, the premise, and the backstory of all the characters is all the same. So, like, we know that Steve's Captain America. We know we can know all these things about him. We've got his history with Peggy, blah, 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 blah. There's all this stuff that we just know about people. Um, but we have taken that and and just either generally the, the, the way that it's approached is just to sort of ignore canon. Like maybe Bucky and Sam are there too, but we don't really talk about exactly what year it is or why they're all living in the tower together. And the 2012 yeah. tower fic totally falls into this category for me where it's like, there's the mission fic, there's the like, oh, you know, Steve and Tony have to pretend to be dating on an alien spaceship. And we don't really know when it's happening, but Sam's up there with them. So uh, 20 something, you know, like this idea that we can kind of play within the concepts and the premises and the tone and everything of, of canon, but not have to necessarily define exactly whether it's canon compliant or where it could fall or if it comes after, you know, like set aside the fix it parts and the who is where parts and borrow from other canons like the fact that a lot of that we do get in parts of the comics where there are a lot of places where you can canon compliantly have these sorts of things happen and as movie fans we get jealous of that and we say okay I'm going to take I'm going to take that quality of comics canon because they've got all of this time that it spans and they do live together and they do fight together and I'm going to say well what if we got that in Marvel canon totally respect if some people call that canon divergent I think that it deserves its own category because yeah I just think that we need to divide these up into a couple more pieces to make them just that little bit more flexible to talk about it's like a little bit of what we were talking about a couple minutes ago where you want the interstitial bits yeah. And so, but you don't want to have to always bring it back to fitting in the rest of canon, but it also doesn't radically change canon. 
yeah, it's like this could kind of fit, but I'm not going to spend any time worrying about whether it does or not. Yeah, there's a lot of this is this could be like hand wavy cannon. Yeah. Like, sure. I mean, hypothetically, they would all celebrate Christmas at the cabin, right? Why not? Sure, yeah. that works. Yeah. There's nothing, there's no outright evidence that they <laughs> couldn't. Um yeah. Like, well, of course, Steve is Tony's gonna take, of course, Tony owns a private island. Of course he does. Of course yeah. he would take his boyfriend there on a vacation. You're hand wavy. Like <laughs> Yeah. I think I'm going to refer to this in my own soul as hand wavy cannon fix. There you go. Yeah, that's fine. I think that, I think that it, we could, it would be nice if we could use divergent for what I feel it originally meant, which was that it was canon compliant up to a certain point and not in certain ways, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so, that makes sense. Like, yeah. So it was more of a it was more of a timeline and not a vibe. Situation. Yeah, it was a split. There was a point and the timeline splits and we're doing a different timeline in this story. And love that kind of story. I would love if divergent could mean that and then we could have some more categories for things like compliant but it's a soulmate AU and Yes. Um, uh, yes. Oh my God. We haven't even gotten into that. How does like it's compliant, but they're ABO or they're yeah, they're, like yeah. layer AUs, which is like a whole different category from premise AUs or setting AUs where it's like, we're just, we're just pasting this layer over Canon that adds this other quality. And I don't love that AU becomes part of it. Cause I totally get why, but like, it's just, it's just itching for a term that specifically means adding another element to what we already know versus an entirely new setup and backstory and yeah yeah the terminology has fallen a bit short for me in this fandom so I apologize to everyone I confused but I'm, I'm I just started ripping it apart in my head as we were doing the poll and then realized probably we should save the poll for after we explain what the hell we're talking about this is you know what, in a certain way, this whole extravaganza is very flaring. Like we have this great idea. It makes complete sense to us. We then throw it to the to everybody else, realize that everybody else doesn't live in our brains or in our chat, and then go, oh shit, we'll have to explain that. Sorry, guys. So so next up, we are going to discuss what you guys had to say about the poll that we did run. Um, but Obviously, big conversation, lots to say, and we had to explain ourselves. So by all means, come back and talk to us more about um, these types of divisions for canon. And if there's like a specific little hole that you live in and what kind of term you'd like to apply to that. And uh, I don't know, maybe we could get some tag trends happening. We could be the change we want to see in the world. <laughs> oh, guys, Ferret loves nothing more than a tag trend. Let's make it happen. <laughs> When we say we're your fandom podcast, we really do try not to just say that. And we do try to actively <laughs> pursue your opinions, swear to God. We figured that we weren't the only ones with opinions about the idea of canon divergent, canon compliant, alternate universes, all of that. And so we went ahead and threw a poll up on the Twitter regarding which one do you like to read or write best now? I know that this was setting some of you up for failure. I respect that but Twitter only gives us four options and we had four things we wanted to see if you like what you guys read or wrote the most. So the options were Canon Divergent, Canon Compliant, 
non-compliant, non-AU, like 2012 tower fix, again, like we said already, and a complete AU. Fair, I don't know if you, have you gotten a chance to look or do you want me to surprise you? I, I, I peeked in the, in the beginning, but I don't know where it, sta- where it stood when it closed. So hit me. Okay, well, it was pretty much a dead heat between Canon Divergent and Complete AU. Yeah, that's, I'm not, I'm not super surprised. I think, I mean, first of all, I know some people didn't know what really what we meant by non-compliant non-AU, which is why we talked about it in the last segment. But um, I also think that like, I mean, we know people love AUs. We've talked about that before. They're very popular. And, and Canon compliant is both hard and, you know, and also it's like, we're here to be transformative. So the vast majority of people like to transform things a bit, you know, I get it. Yeah. Like uh, HT said on the server as a reader, all like anything from so Canon compliant, it can barely be called pre slash to the only thing that's tethering this fic to Canon is the character names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe if we'd had an all of the above slash more than one choice that that one might've taken it. Yeah, for sure. And I think we got into a really interesting discussion on the Discord about what does compliant mean in terms of a transformative work like you and I, you know, talked about. And I really like what Robin said. So I'm going to read that out. You're welcome, Robin. The only time I think Canon compliant is truly compliant is when it's something that happens off screen or introspectively and doesn't change or affect what happened after. So if it's, say, Steve angsting over his unspoken love for Tony after Tony died in Endgame, but still Steve still goes back to the 40s and marries Peggy, then that's compliant. Yeah, and I think I think that that vibes with what we were saying earlier, at least with, yeah, that's how I feel. It's been interesting when I've entered into like exchanges or when I've taken commissions and I think I'm fairly well, if you know my writing, you know that I write AUs. Like I don't, I don't think I'm particularly well known for being a canon based writer, if I'm well known at all. And yet people will still ask me for canon stuff, but what they're asking for is a 2012 tower fic. Like they're not asking for me to do like a battle scene. They're asking for me to write where Clint lives in the vents. Yeah. And they want 2012 tower fic plus Bucky. Yeah. And Sam pretty much. Um, and so that's still transformative to me. That's still an AU, whether I complete the entire world or, you know, like, it's just, it's interesting. It's interesting how people track with this stuff. But yeah, like I said earlier, all no fic to me can be completely canon compliant because everything is transformative or we wouldn't be writing fic. The minute I make anybody gay, it's not canon compliant (laughs) to me. It's definitely like, it feels like one of those things where I want to like, I want to have like a panel with nine people and, and really uh, <laughs> rip it apart and dive into it because people have all sorts of different backgrounds with it. And like, it's one of those things that matters so much. Also, what fandoms you were in when you learned the terms, you know, and yeah, and what the history of it is to you and, and what kind of ships you've liked in the past. And, you know, we are specifically a Marvel and Steve Tony podcast but so much of what we talk about is bigger than that we try to talk about fandom as a whole but there are things like this where it matters so hugely what the fandom is that like from the start if we're in a ship that can't and will not be made canon then yeah can we ever say it's canon compliant and or do we just merely move the goalpost a bit of what canon compliant means within our little world 
I don't know. That's fascinating because every, even when I wrote like, you know, heterosexual fic or I wrote fic that like was hinted at in canon, like none of my, none of my ships were canonical except for Pacey and Joey. And even anything I did with them in Dawson's Creek for anyone who didn't know. Um, and anything I did with them wasn't canon compliant. So it's just, yeah, it's really, really fascinating. And I don't know if this, if this uh, is different currently in any, if there are fandoms out there where the canon ship is very popular in, in fic, but in my experience, people write fic to write what they don't see in canon. So I'd be very intrigued to know like old guard fandom, I think like those two, I, I saw old guard once and then it fell out of my brain, but they are the, the ship that everyone loves is canon compliant. Correct me or, or am I correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Joey, Nikki, the, the most popular, I believe that's the most popular uh, pairing in old guard um, is Joe Nikki. And that, and that's totally canon, totally, totally canon on screen canon. Yeah, and most of and most of uh, Shit's Creek, the largest number of fic is Patrick and David, but that's they just want to give Patrick and David porn scenes, I think, <laughs> which I approve of. So that's completely fine. So yeah, it would be this would be a very different conversation if we were talking about like check please, for instance, too. So yeah, yeah. So statistics wise, within Marvel as a huge umbrella. If you look up canon compliant as a tag, which is a canonical tag, um, there are 5,296 works in Marvel that are tagged canon compliant. If you look up canon, alter, it's called alternate universe canon divergence. <laughs> you get 27,134. So a few, a few more. <laughs> so there's a bit of a skew. It's a couple, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the math makes it pretty clear what people's preferences are. And also AO3 de defines canon divergence inherently as alternate universe. So that's interesting too. Yeah. That's something we can dig into at a later time. I mean, a part of this canon divergence canon, you know, thing to go back to the very beginning of this conversation you and I started having, I mean, I don't know, maybe our second or third Zoom conversation was about <laughs> the nature of ships right? and the nature of relationships and the nature of platonic friendships. And I think one of the things I love the most about Marvel is that there are so many characters with so many different dynamics that you can take a canonical friendship and, you know, in, insert some unresolved sexual tension and all of a sudden you have a romantic relationship. Yeah. And within the MCU movies, you know, one of the people that Steve has that kind of thing with that we don't talk about as much as Tony or Bucky is Nat. It's very, very clear that, you know, not only in Winter Soldier, but then in Endgame, um, like I, I, the way that, I mean, and some of this could just be that, you know, ScarJo and Evans danced around each other for how many years <laughs> dating on and off. Um, and I think he's like still really like, I think he's good friends with her husband now. Like, but um, like they have a chemistry that really helps inform that. But the way I read the last scene, the, the scene in Endgame where he finds her in the bunker before Tony comes back is the, is like that they've been checking in with each other constantly throughout this five year period and Evan said in interviews that he and ScarJo both believed that Nat and Steve like fucked off screen um 
And so, and that's how they played the scene. So it's very, you know, it, it made, one of the reasons it didn't make any sense for me for him to kiss Sharon in, in Civil War, the way they were setting things up was that I absolutely thought they were setting up a Steve Nat arc with the way that they, the two of them were playing. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely, there's a lot of canon there to support it. And I think when we talk about canon compliance and canon divergence, it is one of those things where it's a ship where I think you could fill in enough gaps to create a ship there without necessarily violating canon directly. Like there's enough holes and enough gaps and enough teasing and enough actual content between the two of them that there there would be enough that you could you could totally fill that in and you could write a fic that starts with winter soldier where something happens and then you know maybe at sam's place and then shifts through civil war and ends up with that five-year gap there's so much space in that five-year gap to be able to write things that are canon compliant to the degree that we we can you know shift that boundary just a little bit and and still say, yeah, yeah, all of Endgame can happen exactly as it's shown on screen. And here's what was happening between Steve and Nat behind the scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and Steve proves to us just how much not a virgin he really is. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's, it's that their ship is one that I am not entirely sure why it the only reason it didn't catch on to me is that's is that Steve has bigger chemistry or bigger canonical chemistry, especially with Bucky and Tony. But if you are not somebody who is into slash ships, which those people still exist, I would argue that Steve and Nat is your, is your non pepperoni canonical option. If you want a head ship. Yeah. I like writing them as side ships a lot. They are off. They, if, if Sam is not, I mean, if Steve is not with Sam in a winter iron fic, then he's with Nat. It's always one of those two. Um, actually one that I'm writing right now, I've made them a V with uh, where Nat and Sam are not together, but they are both with, with Steve. Cause that's something I could definitely see happening in the way that their characters will kind of all work together. I really like playing with, with the dynamic of that. Nat is simultaneously the sister that Steve has always needed and the, the wife he needs to keep him on track. <laughs> um, and I, I like playing with that a lot. I'll be honest. I read it a lot more than I write it, but that's also because no one's commissioned it from me yet. Maybe they will someday. Ooh. And uh, I, I like the, yeah, there's very few, very, very few ships. I don't want to try my hand at at least once. I mean, I did Tony Nat and had a ton of fun with it. Um, yeah. I've mostly written them like besties. I do a lot of like wingman Nat kind of stuff where she's either best yeah. friends with Tony or best friends with Steve or, you know, the one navigating in between the middle of them having some kind of relationship drama. And Ashley oh, and I actually good. did have uh, Nat as we did. We did one episode of held that was a threesome and it was with Nat and uh, it, it got mix, mixed results, <laughs> mixed response to that one. The uh, we actually had a translator who was translating it into Russian for a while. And um, she did a whole chunk of held into Russian and was posting it on a Russian fanfic site in Russian with all Russian comments. And Ashley and I used to like to, to go and use Google translate and see what people were saying about it. They all hated, hated the threesome episode so much that when she got to it in the translation, she just skipped it and went to the next <laughs> one and no one was upset. 
no one wanted it. They'd all read it in English already. They were just, they wanted to read it in Russian too. And they would talk in the comments about how they hated that one. And it doesn't exist for them. It's not, it's not part of held canon. So <laughs> I thought that was really interesting that that particular group was like, nope, nope, no nad in that stony. So. Well, I was about to say, I mean, I like that as a threesome and I've read fixed tagged with the three of them. I wouldn't want it injected and held either. And I remember not like, I remember making a face when I got to that chapter. I was like, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Because the way you you guys write Steve and Tony in that series in particular is so intense that like, even just for a sexual liaison to add anybody else in felt a little bit like you guys did such a good job with Stoney that it, it wasn't like I didn't hate it, but I was like, it wasn't like I hated it. I was just like, oh, this is, this is a difference. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, some people loved it. Some people hated it. It was really interesting seeing how divisive the response to that could be. And I don't really know what the response to um, the ship is on AO3 in general. In the Steve Nat tag, there's only 4,957 works, which is just a little bit less than how many canon compliant works there are in Marvel. So um, <laughs> liked just about as much uh but that's not nothing that's 248 pages of fix so i mean obviously i'm guessing the vast majority of them are side ship but uh yeah and that's one of the reasons i actually have yeah. stopped tagging side ships yeah it's tricky yeah i do it in like i do it in other tags like background that or minor that or something there i try not to put them in the relationship tag it is one thing I think that as much as there's sort of ways to work around it, the ideal solution would actually be to have a primary relationship uh, like section, like for relationships to have primary relationship and then all other relationships because you get people on both sides. You get people saying, I hate this relationship and I don't even want it as a side ship. And so if it doesn't get tagged and then it ends up being in it, it really bothers me. And you get people who have this primary relationship, but there's one or two secondary relationships that are really, really important to the story. So they can't be ignored. Like for instance, I have one where Stony is the ship that's like having an arc and getting together, but the entire long fic takes place at Bucky and Clint's wedding. So if you hate Winterhawk, you're really not going to want to read that story. And it's, it can be really hard to like, express the difference but there's no easy way to sort out fix where your small ship is not but a side ship so yeah i know that it's been requested and i'm sure it's on on a list on some devs desk at ao3 somewhere to consider uh and obviously it's one of those things where like thinking about it from a dev perspective you've now got millions and millions of stories on ao3 if you add that feature to it so many fix aren't going to use it because those authors are no longer engaging with their fix in any way and how do they do they automatically make it so the first ship that person listed becomes the primary shift and it's an assumption and if it's older than 2022 you might not be at you know there's a whole lot to consider so who knows that if it'll ever happen but i do think that steve nat would definitely be one of the ships that ends up suffering from side ship syndrome yeah so if you agree with us or disagree with us as always we'd love to hear from you if you have some steve nat content that you would like us to engage with or you have a prompt for me to write steve nat 
Uh, I'm definitely in a place right now where I feel out of original ideas. So somebody wants to throw me some prompts. I am open to filling them for sure, especially. Uh, That's a sweet um, deal, guys. You've got to snatch that up. The well is, is dry, friends. <laughs> the well is dry. So and please don't make me work on my MTH fix. They're just sitting there staring at me, <laughs> judging me, hating she me. She says the weekend me. of the MTH party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Try, I mean, I'm just being, I'm being vulnerable out on Maine here. This is <laughs> this is where we're at on uh, April 25th, 2021. But I do love me some Nat Romanoff and I love her as meddling. I love her. I love her all the time, to be completely honest. And she is so enigmatic that I love shipping her both platonically and romantically with a whole host of people, but definitely, definitely Steve. So if you're in that boat, hit us up in the comments. We'd love to hear from you as always. If you are at all involved in Marvel Trump's hate, or if you're in the Marvel Trump's hate discord server, you might have noticed that this weekend, we are running a Marvel Trump's Hate Creator Party. Uh, Flame and I, as both mods for the event, are also modding the party. And that gave us the idea to do a bit of a special one-off edition of Life of an Event, just to talk about what it's like to run a server party, what that means, what it can entail, what, the, what kind of planning you need to put into it, um, in the hopes that if anyone else wants to host a server party of their own, it'll give them a little bit of the behind the scenes backstage helpful info. There's a bunch of things to keep in mind when you're planning a server party. And to be honest, one of the very first things is timing. Yeah. You really don't want to do it on a weekend where there's a big deadline, for instance, of a massive fandom event or like an offline, like, I don't know. I wouldn't personally have a fandom event on like the weekend of New Year's Eve. For sure. And it can be, it can be really hard actually to find a time that's going to suit everybody. Like if you're taking into account global holidays and fandom events and religious holidays and uh, even the time of year, because this time of year, a lot of people are out in their gardens um, or anything else that might have an impact. Obviously it's not possible to, to be perfect. Um, but it's certainly worth a little bit of thought, maybe even a poll to see how many people would be able to host it, depending on when you host it. Uh, and honestly, one of the most important things with picking the date for it is that your mod team is going to be available because at the end of the day, if no one's there to run it, it ain't going to happen. So first things first, check in with the people who are going to be organizing it and pick a date that's good for you. And then you also want to make sure you're picking a date that'll be good for the people that you want to participate. And part of that is to think about what the point of the party is. So you want to think about, are you doing this to build like, you know, camaraderie among the server? And then maybe it is most important that most people join you. Are you doing it as some sort of, uh, you know, specific event around a, thing that you're running that you know not everyone's going to be into so like only having a handful of people be available might be okay because it just happens to be the thing so drilling down why you want to do it can also help inform this question for mth the idea was to have as many creators within marvel trump's hate as possible and also to have a couple different ones throughout the year so that there could be check-ins and some time to create and kind of a longevity thing, not just a one-off 
to kind of build these parties into the general schedule of Marvel Trump's hate instead of just Marvel Trump's hate being a one-off thing. We also wanted to create kind of a vibe, camaraderie, some off-season antics, so you, so to speak, that people could take inspiration and some kind of creative juices flowing to help them finish their fills. So then that contributed to the times that we wanted to be able to have those parties. We didn't want it too close to the original event. We didn't want it too close on either end, either right after it or right before it, you know, things like that. If you've, if the point of your party is like, um, like for example, I help run the alts, uh, alts day party every year that happens around alts day. So there isn't really a lot of flexibility. It's the same day every year. So we try and make sure that it, the party itself runs long enough that people are going to get a chance to participate. But the timing for that party ends up more being, you know, what time of day are we going to do the, uh, the movie showings and stuff like that. So there's the greater timing question, what day or days are we going to host the party? And then within that, what times are we going to have party events? And that actually is something that um, takes a little bit of practice to nail down. Uh, I know that our first uh, MTH party, some of the games were too close together and I wasn't prepared for how long people were going to want to play some of them because some of the games people got really into. And if it's the kind of game where people can kind of um, put their hand up and get added to the end of a queue in order to do something, that queue can get really long, which makes the game run really long. And it's awesome that people are excited. And I, I was really glad people were playing the game. But all of a sudden, we weren't done the first game. And it was already almost time for the next game because it had run for hours. So if you're going to plan out events within your server party, um, like games or movie showings or what have you, make sure that there's enough time between them, first of all, that you can fit the whole movie in if you're doing a movie, um, or that enough people will get to play the game if you're playing a game, and also that there's enough time for a break. Um, for you and for the party goers, because by the time you get to the end of someone's day, or if they've been doing several games in a row or something like that, they might be pretty wiped. They need to eat. They need to be. Um, they need to walk the dog. But additionally, by spreading things out, you also expand the number of people who are going to be able to show up time-wise. If you run, you know, if you have three days and you run your movie showing every single one of those days at 8 p.m. Eastern time, then the only people who are going to be able to see that are people who are in time zones where they're going to be available at 8 p.m. Eastern time. A good chunk of the world is asleep at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So it's the kind of thing that the timing question has a lot of layers and it's worth thinking about what you're going to do at every layer. And I would really recommend if you're going to do any kind of timed events, games or movie showings or, or you know, music playlist things, anything, whatever you come up with that you consider every layer of the impact on timing. And this is a great time to remind you to check in with your mod team. <laughs> because if a lot of you are in different places around the world, assign different things. If just flat out say like, hey, I'm not going to be able to be a part of this because I'm going to be asleep or I have a meeting or whatever, but the someone on the team might be able to handle it. So this is another reason that planning is important because then you can make sure that the kind of all the angles of this thing are covered. Because the the besides the timing of like timed events, like Ferret just brought up, you also want to be sure that you have spaces within it 
if this is a creator party for people to create things and not just play games. Or if you want, if it's a like an alt state, one of the things is for kind of newbies to alts to be able to ask questions. So you want to be able to create spaces for that to happen. And all of those kind of things is a, a real balance between having enough for people to do this, so they stick around and having too much. One of the people who was a master at this was Tisfin when she ran the Tony Stark bingo server parties mm -hmm. and really figured out a way to keep everybody involved, but not seemingly make anyone feel overwhelmed. And I know one of the ways that she did that was to be very clear about when games were running and when they weren't and very clear when games were, were, um, like over, you know, and it wasn't just going to keep going forever because she wanted people to get back to creating and, and things like that. So once you've got the the timing sorted out and you're trying to pick maybe some specific activities or games to play, um, or even just designing how you're going to present and advertise the event itself, one of the things that's really important to think about is who you're including and who you're excluding with each of the aspects of your party. So inevitably, these things can't be for everyone. They just can't. It's just not how it works. It's going to be limited to people in your fandom, in your ship, people in your Discord server, people in a certain event. In some way, it's going to be limited. And that's totally fine. These things shouldn't be for everyone. Um, but you don't want to incidentally exclude people who are part of the group that you're trying to host the event for. So in addition to thinking about time zones and making sure that you're hitting points in time where hopefully most people from most time zones are going to be able to catch at least part of the event. You also want to think about things like um, if the games require art skills or writing skills, you might want to make sure that there's a balance of those types of games. For the MTH server parties, we always make sure that there's three games each day. One is an icebreaker that's kind of a generic party game. One is a art game, which generally you don't need to be good at art to do. You just have to have a desire to make stick figures at the very least. And uh, one is a writing game, which again, you don't have to consider yourself brilliant at writing, but you have to be willing to put some words on paper. Um, so think about, you know, how much time are people going to get to produce something if they're producing something? Are they going to be able to participate in the game if they don't have, you know, a stylus to draw with? Um, or if they, if English is their second language, are the rules going to be hard to understand? A big one for server parties is do people need to be in voice chat and do they need to be, to have a mic and have their microphone on? I know there are a lot of games that seem like fun and you may have played them with groups of people online and it was great, but if you're running a server event that's supposed to be as inclusive as possible for the server, there are generally a large proportion of people who are not comfortable on voice chat. So I think that there can be a line there, you know, one game that requires voice chat or games where you need to be in voice chat, but you can mute your microphone if you want to, are just a, that little bit more inclusive than um, games where you have to be able to hear what your team say or um, say things out loud to each other or that require art skills to do that kind of thing. So that is, that is definitely worth thinking about. Now, a big part of anything in charge of a server or an event is participation. This is not something that you want to spring on the members of your server. This is something that they should know about ahead of time. So if they've got some offline stuff that they want to be able to juggle or can juggle, they have the opportunity to do that. Obviously, you don't want to have an event where no one shows up. So give people a chance to, you know, show up <laughs> and maybe even 
if, if you're low on ideas or, you know, you know what you want to accomplish, but you're even not sure how to do that, ask the server members what they'd like to do and figure out something from that way. In the same way, you can take your cues from them while the party is happening as well. There are parties that just don't quite grasp the group, uh, you know, grab the group's imagination the way you think they're going to. So know when to, you know, in the immortal words of Kenny Rogers, know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> and um, when the game isn't working, it's okay. It's not your failure as a party host. It just means it's not working in that moment for any number of reasons. And that's okay. You can always delay a game, say, okay, not enough people are here. We're going to wait an hour and try this again. Um, or, you know, swap out for another game, ask people what they would like to play. Uh, additionally, I have found that a great thing is to get people to react with an emoji when there's a game that they want to play, even if they don't need to say, like, sign up exactly for a game by saying, hey, react to this post. Hey, hey everyone, or, you know, at whichever group of people are involved react with this emoji if you're going to play this game and then you have an idea of if there's enough people there to make the game work especially if there's a minimum number of participants that the game requires and then you know if the game's good to go you can let it sit there for a little bit you know 10 15 even 30 minutes you can wait until you've accumulated enough people that the game is going to be good to go or if you don't get enough people you can say not enough people, we're going to leave it an hour or we're going to move this game to a different time slot or we're going to scrap this game or whatever it is. And by having that kind of, if you have a very light, open, flowy uh, attitude towards it, then people will feel, you don't want to make people feel guilty for not wanting to play a game. It's all an experiment. If they're not into it, no problem, move on. And there'll be something else that'll, that'll fly later on in the event. So yeah, I think... Um, a lot of planning, but then on the day of, you have to be willing to be a little bit flexible. Just a reminder to make sure that you plan breaks for yourself too, like Ferret already said, but I want to just bring that back. It can be very easy to get caught up, but if you've got to step away, have some backup plans in place for that. Um, and also make sure to, you know, re remember that we all often need screen breaks. So closing the computer or putting down the phone every once in a while is always a good idea. It's easy to get caught up, but uh, just remember that in terms of your physical and mental health as well. Just a little, a little note. It's real easy to stay glued all the time. Uh, one other note that I think can really help, especially with drumming up participation or getting people wanting to be engaged is if your server or your event that the server is connected to or what have you has some way of rewarding people for showing up. So um, for Marvel, we do a point system where you can earn points to get a special role. The role doesn't really do anything, but the, you get the points by participating in the party. And it just gives people a little bit of incentive to just do some of the other stuff that gets those channels lighting up, which brings other people in because they see that there's action going on. So thinking about if there's a way to do some kind of, um, uh, what are they called? Like party favors or... Uh, a special role or a trophy or an emoji in people's names or some little way to thank people for showing up and giving them just a little bit of incentive to check it out, then that can go a really long way towards bringing more people in. And the more people you have, the better the events will go, the more excitement there'll be and more and more people will come in. So uh, that's one way to drum up a little, a little interest. 
If you've got further questions about server events or you've run one and something went super, super well and you'd love to tell us about it and we didn't mention it, remember that we love hearing from y'all and you can get a hold of us across any of the socials, the email, the, I mean, we can probably answer smoke signals at this point on some level. <laughs> um, the Pony Express still stops outside my door. Find us some way uh, so that we can continue this conversation. Now it is time for everyone's favorite or maybe favorite or something they maybe just enjoy part of the episode. To rope off! Ferret, update please. Okay, okay. I left you off last time with humor slash crack versus found family. And I said, we all know what Flame's going to vote for. And I feel like I did know who you voted for. And I feel like uh, almost everybody agreed with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, humor and humor crack is a weird one for people. Everybody wants to be able to laugh in a fic, but they they don't like often want it to go into crack, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes. Yeah, I think having humor in a fic is something that almost everybody values, but a fic yeah. that is purely about being a joke, I think is is can be fun but uh you know it's a it's a it's a one like a a one-off special kind of thing like the abo turkey story it's funny it's great i am groot is the most upvoted uh or most kudos fic on ao3 we get it but um at the end of the day that's not why people uh, are in fandom for the most part i guess though it didn't get totally obliterated um, humor crack took 24% and found family took 76%. So that's, yeah, that's a quarter. That's a quarter. Yeah, that's, that's respectable. Yeah. So, and yeah, I get it. And it's very much one of those things where it's like, it can be, it's one of those things where it's like, I mean, the, the, the thing for trope off I say is always, if there was a fic and it only had one tag and it was that tag versus the other tag, which of the two would you click on? And, um, I mean, some people don't love found family. I mean, you know that I'm not a huge person for lots of extra characters and I do love the Avengers, but if the whole, like, I don't read any gen Avengers group stories at all. Yeah. I'm not interested in, in all of their six way familial love for each other. I think it's great. I want it in the background. I don't mind happy scenes where they're enjoying being grouped together, but I mostly read fic for romance. So the found family aspect for me, not a big deal, not a big deal. So maybe I'm someone who, who would actually prefer humor. Cause I have definitely read some very, very funny uh, fics that I really loved. So I feel it. I do feel it. That but I know sense. found family. I've clicked, on humor. I've clicked on humor before. I've never clicked on crack as a tag. <sighs> Have you read the Turkey ABO story? Oh, I'm sure. And like, <laughs> it was, it was enjoyable, but not nearly as much as it was to other people. So yeah, I just not, it doesn't scratch my itch as much. And I love, I don't read any gen fic at all, unless it's from an author I already know. Like I never go hunting for gen fic. Mm. Um, I've written two or three because the prompt it, that was in my brain fit better focusing on a character instead of their specific relationships Mm -hmm. um but like 
it's not yeah like avenger i mean i don't read a lot of ot6 porn either like all of them as a group isn't necessarily my thing like i love found family but i really like i never write about clint i never write about thor i never write about bruce like i kind of create my own found family in very that, specific like, found family characters. yeah like i've hobbled together the found family i write about all the time Right. So it's, um, and I always write, I mean, I write AUs. We all know I do. So I, I treat all of this a little bit differently. Uh, but yeah, no, I've, I was, I voted for found family. Duh. Um, so in the middle weekend, we had an interesting one, a bit, both a bit uh, unusual, perhaps. Um, okay. So we had crossovers versus aliens made them do it. Do you have okay. a, do you have a guess? Aliens made them do it. You are correct. It did win. Not by as much of a margin as the last one. Crossovers took 38% and aliens took 62%. Okay. This is another one where um, the origin of the trope, aliens made them do it, because it used to be like like a, a tag thing. Like it, it was a... Like a idiomatic phrase almost it was like it was a cliche it was a thing it was a thing people knew and it was always that aliens had made them have sex and that's what made them realize that they had feelings for each other and that was a very done thing but I think that um it it gets interpreted now as aliens made them do anything like if, if the plot is spurred by aliens I've seen people tag things as aliens made them do it. So that's one of those ones where I want to know what the specific meaning of that. If they saw a fic tagged with that and only that, how would they interpret it uh, on a story? That's funny. I would only interpret it as sex. So that's interesting. But I also don't read a lot of things that would be tagged with aliens. So I haven't had as many encounters with that tag as you have. It was definitely a thing for a while early on. I feel like it's Uh, that. Yeah favor maybe or more of a comics inspired thing well i mean the next chunk of movies are all gonna be space-based i think so we might get we're venturing out there we're venturing out there so maybe we'll get more um i feel like combining the two is just begging for a star trek crossover or stargate or firefly i love a good firefly crossover firefly would be an interesting crossover i think the 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 vibe, the snark and banter and, and they found family um, amongst the Firefly cast would both mesh and clash nicely with the Avengers vibe. So maybe a crossover where Firefly gang meets Avengers gang circa 2012. See what happens. Yeah. Let's put up the two, the two found family Whedon verses essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that could be fun. That could be really fun. I like, I like the idea of Mal and, and uh tony uh like absolutely hating each other in a way and steve yeah. is laughing his ass off yeah yeah like oh how does it feel tony yeah um but crossovers i think the most popular one in terms of numbers would be a harry potter one uh, yeah yeah i think that's and there are people i see like absolutely no hogwarts AUs a lot on do not want lists increasingly on in exchanges that i'm in or events i'm in so you know, there's a, in order for there to be a crossover, you have to really like the other property. There's not, I think, a ton of people that will, will read any crossover, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's so, definitely a niche appeal. I think it sort of um, ends up getting sidelined the same way that OCs do, like, 
Yeah. Since you have to really like both fandoms enough to love them both, but also to do them at the same time um, is a, is a, a niche skill and a niche desire. So yeah the my favorite one i've fallen into has been batman and tony and had and it's been bruce tony fix i have seen yeah there was a little trend of that for a while there too and those were good there i do there's a couple hogwarts crossovers i've tried a lot i have not enjoyed a whole a whole hunk of them Mm. but there there's some that i've tried i'll click around sometimes i read at one point again you're no one is allowed to ask me for the link to this but at some point i read a um i want to say winter iron Yes, it was Winter Iron and Supernatural. Oh, that sounds vaguely familiar. I think I might have read yeah. that one a little bit. That's a okay. rare instance where I ha- I read and enjoy and have written in both of those. So that's something I might like. I know there was some bandying about. I've actually written a very, 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 very short snippet of what would have been a Buffy Angel and uh, MCU crossover. Um but where they have to sing at, at Lauren's club. But yeah, I mean, I was never in Harry Potter, so I know that there are a fair number of crossovers for Harry Potter, but I've never read any Harry Potter fic, so that wouldn't really appeal to me, but. And this is how it goes. Like, and there's fandoms that I absolutely love that I wouldn't want to smush together with the with MCU. Like I still- You want an MCU West Wing crossover. <laughs> god i could well that's just like i wrote i wrote that already in a way um because i had some west wing characters kind of show up surreptitiously in in rose garden oh yeah <laughs> but um yeah and bartlett was a president in the past and santos was like bartlett and santos were presidents in the past in that au so um what was i gonna say no i wouldn't want like mcu and gilmore girls Oh yeah, I mean that would be hard to do, but there's a scope issue there, right? Like Gilmore Girls yeah. is so focused on this one little town, and and then the MCU, which spawns universes, and it's like they just don't yeah. collide that great. If anyone's done it and succeeded, hats off to you. But I find that because like, this is instead of a crossover, usually I just want a like a redo or like an AU. So like yeah, I would an AU. like you and I have joked about doing a a Gilmore a Stony Gilmore Girls for our entire friendship yeah yeah for sure and like that would be really fun but i don't want to read steven tony and lorelei and luke (laughs) yeah 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 uh hit us up with your favorite crossovers though and we will make a list if people have enough to make it uh to make it a list we'll share that for sure um yeah so right now right now right now run to twitter right now you still have some time to vote in this weekend's Trowball, which is going to be an interesting one. We have Arranged Marriage versus Fix It. Oh. Popular, both popular. Both very popular. So that'll be interesting to see. And one that would be difficult to combine. Yeah, because I feel like, you know, as we've been talking about canon and canon divergent and canon compliant and all of that, fix it has to have IMO, at least some basis in canon for you to be fixing something. So uh, no canon arranged marriages in our particular uh, fandom. So that would be challenging. Would be challenging. Yeah. Or really a whole lot of canonical romantic relationships in our fandom. Yeah, yeah. Much no. like three. <laughs> so like... Yeah, it'd have to be like, uh, um, 
shield gives steve an arranged marriage with someone else to try and get him accustomed to the world and tony gets jealous i don't know i don't know that would be a challenge that's all i don't know i could might i might could have fun with a fix it up like a pepperoni fix it where there's something about like there's something about fixing like something with the multiverse and something happens with Tony and they, they give him like, cause in Canon, his lodestone is, is pepper the way the MCU has set up Canon. Yeah. Um, so like that would be, I could play around with that. I don't love writing pepperoni as much as I used to. So I don't know, but it would be, yeah. If someone can, if someone's sitting here and talking back to us and telling us how they combine the tropes, please tell us immediately. That randomly reminded me of a funny post I saw once that said, there's nothing that makes you feel more like a ghost than listening to a podcast and hearing two people trying to remember something that you can remember, like the name of yes. a movie or something like that. <laughs> and someone's out there going, there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. You guys are just missing it. Email it to us. Yeah. You don't have to be a ghost to be part of the conversation. Yeah. Or even better, write it for us and gift it to us on io3. Ooh, yeah. Or at least um, set it as a reply on the Twitter poll so that we can read it next time around. Uh, because I do so love seeing what you guys come up with as combo prompts. Um, so yeah, go vote right now. It is open. It will be open for several more hours. So you don't miss your shot. And it's open every weekend. And next time we'll be talking about this week, next week, and the weekend after. This is only more love, and I'm back with your events forecast. This is where I'll share with you some of what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you. So buckle up and let's go. The usual note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mentioned in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes for each episode over on podonthesuit.com. On to the fun stuff. The Marvel Bang is back for another round. It's open to all ships and has a minimum word count of 10,000 words. The Bang is open for signups until July 1st for authors, with claims starting on September 25th and posting set from November 14th to December 17th. The mods for the What to Finish auction have announced a mini-auction round to support Asian communities in light of recent events. Signups will open on June 15th, and the rest of the schedule, as well as guidelines and other info, can be found on their blog. The signups for The Star Spangled Big Bang are open to artists until June 4th, with claims happening on June 11th. Don't miss out! Stony Loves Steve is back. Centering around Steve in a positive way, this exchange allows for a variety of mediums and is open for signups until May 1st with posting set for June 22nd. Please come join in the fun. A Steve Bingo has appeared, and signups are open until May 16th. Go grab a card. A Stucky Week has been announced well in advance, as it will run from July 5th to July 11th, but the prompts are already available on their blog, so please go check them out, as well as look at their rules so you can prep beforehand. Now that the fourth round of the Tony Stark bingo is over, it's time for another series of Flash Bingos. That starts with the first set of mini bingo cards, 
which will be released on May 1st. The Bingo Mods are also hosting a server party for Tony's birthday on May 19th. So if you're not already there, go grab an invite, and if you are, don't forget to join. The Iron Strange Big Bang is back, and artists can still join until May 17th. Claims will happen from June 28th through July 12th, and posting is set to begin on November 12th. The Iron Husband's Bingo is back, and you can sign up for a personalized card until May 1st. Also open till May 1st is the Iron Husband's Big Bang. The bang allows for both a mini and big bang options, one for 5k and one for 15k and upwards, of course. Claims will take place on June 19th, with postings spanning the month of September. Claims for the Sam Wilson Fest are open, and will stay that way until April 23rd. Posting will happen between April 24th and May 2nd. There are no minimums, and all mediums are allowed. Don't miss out! Signups and fills for the following are also still ongoing. Marvel Reverse Bang, Cap I Am Bingo, as well as the Lights on Park Avenue monthly prompts. And that's it for this episode, friends. This has been your events forecast. Please join us again next episode. Until then, be well and happy shipping. And that's a wrap on episode five. Thanks so much to Meg, Dora, Marie, and only. Like we said in Com Talks, we're looking to chat more about the smaller ships attached to these two. So if you're interested in conversing about Steve and Tony with people besides Bucky, make sure to get in touch. I mean, obviously we can all talk about Bucky forever, but again, <laughs> the smaller ships, folks. This is your fandom podcast, and we do want to represent as many pockets of this wild and wonderful world as we can. We are only in so many, though, so we definitely need you to help us out. Also, please rate and review us on whatever podcaster you listen to so that other folks can find us and join the fun. Any feedback, comments, suggestions, etc., can be sent to us on Discord, email, or any of the socials. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you next time. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.